hello there. I hope everybody's doing okay today or this week. If you're new to our church or you're new to the podcast, my name is Rory Anderson, and I'm the youth director at Portland General Baptist Church in Portland, Tennessee. I'll be your host for the youth podcast lessons, and uh, you can easily distinguish which one is the sermon or the Sunday school or the youth lesson uh, just by looking at the title on the podcast. And just to give you a heads up, if anything sounds weird, just keep in mind we're still fiddling with all of the technicalities on our end. And so uh, between this episode and next episode, you may hear some big differences in sound quality, um, but we're still playing around with things and trying to get things nailed down as best as we possibly can. you enjoyed the two-part series, uh, kind of a mini Easter series there on Genesis chapter 3, two of the most overlooked instances or or events there in Genesis chapter 3, the first being uh, how God did not strike Adam and Eve down when they sinned as he said he was going to, and uh, that being a sign or the first act of mercy from God. And then, of course, the first act of grace from God, which was where God himself provided the sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's sins. And I hope that was a bit eye-opening for you. I hope that that was was meaningful to you to show that even from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of humanity, that God is merciful, God is gracious to us, even when things look dark and gloomy and, and very grim. God still loves us, and He still shows us mercy, and He still shows us grace. Now, we're going to look at a uh, book this week, and we're going to start a new series, actually. Um, it's going to be several parts long. We're going to take our time going through the book of Ruth. Now, this is one of my absolute favorite books in Scripture. Um, always, of course, after Romans. Uh, everybody's uh, all, all theologians' favorite book has to be Romans, uh, but uh, m- one of my favorites is Ruth, and uh, I hope that I can convey to you over the next several weeks um, why it's my favorite, and I hope that it becomes one of your favorites. Um, but right now we have um, we are in a very different time in our country. We are experiencing. Uh, unemployment levels um, that I, I we have not seen a- almost ever. Um, I was actually just talking to my wife earlier today, and uh, we were talking about how in the last four weeks there have been 22 million applications for unemployment. That is a staggering number of applications. There are people without work, people who don't have incomes, people who cannot make a living right now, people who are running out of savings, if any savings they have stored up, they need to feed their families. They need to pay their bills. They've got car notes to pay. Uh, They've got house notes to pay or rent. They've got groceries to buy, gas to put in their cars. They've got to pay for the utilities for their apartment or their house or wherever they may be living, and yet they have no income. Some some of these people don't have any food to even put in their refrigerators, and things are looking very grim. Some people are getting really worried. Some people are are 
thinking very drastically and some of them maybe even acting drastically uh, just to be able to provide for themselves and their families. And uh, a lot of people are experiencing loss, not just in the job market, not just with their employment, but they're experiencing loss uh, because their family members or maybe themselves, maybe they themselves are infected with uh, coronavirus or maybe something else is going on with them. Maybe you listening to this right now, maybe you're experiencing something, some sort of loss, some level of distress, uh, some level of disorder in your life. I think everybody, uh, for the most part at least, in the United States is experiencing a level of unrest. People have been displaced from their usual routine. Uh, I I know for myself personally, really the only difference for me, because I normally work from home, is that I'm not going to church four times a week <laughs> like I normally do. Uh, I get there super early on Sunday mornings and I stay there about four or five hours until after 12 and uh, do it all again uh, uh, Wednesday evening, usually there about four or five hours by the time everything's said and done, and then, you know, a time or two the rest of the week. Um, but uh, God blessed me with a work-from-home job, and, and so I already didn't have to drive. Um, but going to church, or I guess not going to church, has has really kind of made this weird. Uh, even with work, even though I have the consistency of my job, I still kind of lose track of the days of the week. And the funny thing is, is my job requires me to know the days of the week. So it, it, it's uh, it's a little bit weird for me. But uh, that that does not compare to the displacement that so many millions of people in this country are facing right now. And Let's keep in mind what's going on today as we go through the book of Ruth, because the book of Ruth starts uh, with displacement. The book of Ruth starts with doom and gloom and despair, and it seems like all hope is lost. And you might be listening to this. I know this is a, this is a lesson primarily for the youth um, at Portland General Baptist Church, but uh, it can be for anybody. Uh, the The Word of God does not change. It, it is for everybody. And so if anybody is listening to this uh, and, and you are experiencing some level of despair, whether because of whether it's because of coronavirus or or something else, something completely unrelated to that, the book of Ruth is for you. Um, basically, I want to start off with giving a background to the book of Ruth because I want you to understand the historical context. If we're going to really dig into Scripture, if we're going to really understand what's going on here in the book of Ruth and, and really uh, just enjoy how deep and how rich these four chapters are, I need to give you some historical context. So the book of Ruth, it's one of two books in Scripture uh, named after a woman. The other one is Esther. And uh, this this particular event, these events that unfold in the book of Ruth, they take place about 900 to 1,000 years before Christ is born. So this is around 900 to 1,000 B.C. And probably, most likely, takes place uh, during the time of the rule of the judges. And uh, we see the, the lineage. Uh, uh, there's a genealogy that's listed in chapter 4 of Ruth that uh, references the time of the judges. So that kind of gives us an idea of when these events took place. And then, of course... 
obviously this was written after the fact. Uh, but uh, the book of Ruth is only four chapters. It's a quick, short read, but there is years worth of information in this. And uh, it, 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 like I said, it's four chapters. It's a very quick read. It maybe only takes about 20 or 30 minutes, depending on your, your reading speed. Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote Ruth, um, but it has traditionally been attributed to Samuel. Um, there's a couple of references um, to David, uh, King David and Ruth. And um, um, basically, if those references to David are part of the original book, the very original writing, uh, rather than a later edition, uh, it must have been written by someone else because Samuel died uh, prior to David's reign. Um, but, uh, uh, traditionally this book, the book of Ruth has been attributed, uh, to Samuel having written it. Uh, like I said, uh, the events take place about 900 to a thousand years before Christ was born. And today we're really only going to focus on the first five verses of chapter one. And this is going to give us an idea of what is Transpiring. This is going to set up the entire rest of the book of Ruth. Now, to understand historically what is going on, uh, just to give the context of what is happening here, again, to set up the book of Ruth, if you turn your attention to Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 30, this is, this is an event following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I want to start in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30. I'll go ahead and read. I read out of the New King James Version, typically. Verse 30 says, Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zor, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose." It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Now I want to point out uh, in verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. So basically what happened here is Lot escaped the destruction, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with his two daughters. His two daughters were not married. They had no husbands. They were unable to produce any offspring. And in the twisted desire to continue their lineage, they decided to sleep with their father. They got him drunk, did the unimaginable, ended up becoming pregnant, and the oldest of the two daughters bore a son named 
Moab. Now, it's very important we know who this guy is because Moab, as it says in verse 37, became the father of the Moabites. Now, Moab, this man, keep in mind, he is a product of incest. One of the most vile sins that anybody could commit produced this man named Moab. Now, it turns out that this gross sexual immorality became kind of a precursor for Moab and the Moabites. The country of Moab, of course, started or founded by this man named Moab, became known for its gross sexual immorality. And I don't mean like gross, like icky. I mean there was a lot of it. Moab became one of the greatest enemies of the nation of Israel. And throughout history, Moab and Israel butted heads a lot. In fact, at least a couple of times where Israel and Moab went to war with each other, Moab was responsible for the loss of tens of thousands of Israelites in war. Israel and Moab were not on good terms. So, keep that in mind as we begin reading in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. So this is Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech... Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now that's kind of a dark opening. Uh, that's, that is a... Um, that is a very dark opening to a book, to to a book of scripture. But I hope that you caught uh, something that happened there. We see a family, the husband and wife being Elimelech and Naomi, who lived in Judah. They were living in Bethlehem, Judah, in the Promised Land. This was exactly where God wanted them to be. Now I want to tell you something. Very interesting. This whole book has a whole bunch of almost like um, Easter eggs in it. So you can read the text by itself and understand the basic gist of what's happening. But if you understand some of the historical context here as well as the meanings of different people's names, that opens up things even more for the reader. So I want to kind of break down a couple of these names here. So Elimelech, the husband, uh, the, the head of the house of this, of this family, Elimelech, his name means God is king or, or my God is king. Naomi's name 
means pleasant. Now, I don't know what Orpah's name is off the top of my head, um, but uh, uh, Ruth's name is more along the lines of friend or friendship or friendly. And so let's let's try to keep these name meanings in mind as we're reading. Um, but if you back up just a little bit, we go back to verse 1. We see that Elimelech, God is king, or my God is king, who is in Bethlehem, Judah, the place where he and his family belong. He decides to uproot his family and take them to Moab of all places. It's a bit ironic that someone whose name declares and acknowledges the kingship of the Lord God completely disobeys God. And not only does he just move his family out of town, he doesn't even just move them out of town or even out of the, 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 the county, if you will. He completely moves them out of the country and goes to Moab of all places. Now, why is that so significant? That's because Elimelech was where he was supposed to be and took them to one of the most vile nations he could have ever taken his family. Now, I don't want to completely dismiss Elimelech's actions. I, I, I uh, by no means am, am perfect myself, and, and I, I don't know if I could call myself a better man than Elimelech, um, but... but we have to look at what's going on historically here. Elimelech was faced with the challenge that it, there was a famine. Bethlehem was experiencing a loss of food. People were starving. There, there was nothing to eat. Now, it's easy to say, wow, Elimelech was, you know, golly, he was terrible. Why did he do that to his own family? taking them out of Bethlehem, taking them to Moab, one of the most immoral nations he could have taken them to just because there was a famine. Why couldn't he have just waited or maybe moved to another area in the country or something? Maybe he could have, maybe he could have farmed some food or something. But no, he took them to Moab. It's really easy to judge Elimelech, but how often, how often do we ourselves call ourselves Christians? We we acknowledge the name of Jesus with our lips, and yet with our actions, we we do the complete opposite. We 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 come to church on Sunday mornings, and we say nice things to each other, and and maybe maybe we uh, maybe we do work quite a bit and try to show off the name of the Lord, and yet throughout the rest of the week, we make such heinous decisions. Uh, a lot of a lot of people do that. A lot of people who who have been in church for decades, uh, they profess Christ with their lips. They they say, "Oh, I believe in the Bible," and and you know, I'm exactly where God needs to be. And and then yet, when they're faced with some sort of controversy, they completely abandon their beliefs in Scripture, or uh, they they cling on to what they believe politically, even rather than clinging on to Scripture. Or rather, or the truths of Scripture, they think, oh well, you know, church, church, and and the law, church and politics is completely separate things. And you know, if I have to fend for my family, then that's what I have to do. And and to an extent, that's noble. That that is a noble charge. But 
isn't our obedience to God far more exceedingly important than our political beliefs? Isn't our obedience to the Lord far more important than providing for our families? That sounds kind of backwards, right? If we don't provide for our families, we starve. We don't pay the bills. We lose out on all kinds of things. But are we not called to obedience? Does God not provide? Maybe Elimelech was facing that same struggle, and maybe maybe he just chose to sin because he didn't see any other way out, or maybe he didn't care. We're not told. But what we are told is that he took his family out of the providence of God, or so he thought. He took his family out of the promised land into an immoral nation. What I would like to point out is that we should not be so quick to judge Elimelech. It is easy, especially in hindsight, to say, well, you took him to Moab. You took him to Moab. That's like that's like a family today taking their country out of the United States and going to North Korea. <laughs> um, that's quite backwards. It's quite opposite of where we are now. I, I'm not saying that we're Israel or anything, but I'm just drawing a, a comparison. But Elimelech, God is my king, takes his family out of Bethlehem, Judah, into Moab because of a famine. So what happens when they get to Moab? Elimelech dies. So that leaves Naomi behind. She's left with her two sons, Malan and Killian. And then they took wives. And where were those wives from? They were from Moab, of course. So Malan and Killian, they take on uh, wives from Moab. So now Naomi, her husband, has died. Naomi, trying to be a faithful Jew, is now stuck with a dead husband. Two sons who have married Moabite women. It's not looking good for Naomi. So they lived there about ten years, it says in verse 4. And then verse 5, as if Elimelech's death was unexpected enough... Then both Malan and Killian also die, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This is jarring, and I want you to understand that by the end of this lesson. Everything was roses in Judah, and a single famine completely turned this family upside down. Elimelech decides to take his family out of the promised land and takes him to Moab, a vile nation, a sinful nation, a nation that is completely backwards from where they're supposed to be. And shortly after they arrive there, we're not told how or why, but Elimelech, the head of the household, dies, leaving Naomi to care for the two sons, and it wasn't until after Elimelech died that the two sons ended up getting married to two Moabite women. Naomi is one of the central figures of the book of Ruth, and Naomi has experienced a great loss just in Elimelech's death. And then her two sons get married to two immoral 
Moabitess women. This is jarring for Naomi. And as if that was not enough, both of her sons die too. And as if that was not enough, Malan and Killian did not have any children when they died. So now it's just Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth without anyone to carry on the lineage of Elimelech. Naomi has got to be feeling helpless. She has no husband, she has no sons, and she's left with these two Moabite women who she probably completely despises. We actually get a hint of that a little later on in chapter 1 that she just really does not want to be around these two ladies, and yet she's stuck with them. This has got to be one of the most helpless and hopeless-feeling situations you could be in. Imagine being married to somebody, or spending any amount of time with somebody, being very, so very close to them. They're, they're like your best friend, and they die. Or imagine you get married to your best friend. <laughs> you have children with them, and your best friend dies, so does your children. Put yourself in Naomi's shoes, at least for a few minutes. That's got to be... That's a perilous situation. This is a pretty dark opening to to one of the... I know I said earlier on, this is one of my favorite books of Scripture, um, but uh, it doesn't seem like it would be if it opens so dimly. These first five verses of Ruth chapter 1 are not fun, but they set up something so great in the end. Sometimes... We have to be brought low in order to in order to understand what it means to be placed high. Sometimes we don't understand how blessed we are until we have those blessings taken away. Sometimes we get a little too comfortable with where God has placed us and we get a little too comfortable with our own decisions and 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 making our own choices apart from uh, obedience to God. We think we know better. We think that we can figure this out on our own. We've done so well so far. We forget that the whole reason why we're in the place that we're in begin to begin with is because God has allowed us to be there. So Naomi, her name meaning pleasant, I would imagine she's probably not very pleasant right now. You can't go through something so traumatic or at least you would think that you can't go through something so traumatic and remain pleasant to any degree. Naomi has got to be in a place she completely desires to get out of. It's probably within every inch of her being to just leave Moab and start new. You ever been there? Have you ever just had enough and you just want to leave and you just want to just get out? Start fresh, make new friends, could just go somewhere else and forget about all of the pain. You want to just forget about all of the loss. I've been there personally, and it's, it's not a fun place to be at. You do kind of get excited about thinking about all the new things you're going to do, all the new people you're going to meet, and places you're going to go, just because you get to forget about all of the hurt that you've been through. It feels like... 
you're alone in life. It feels like you're experiencing all of this alone. And, you know, if there is a God, he probably doesn't care. And it's just, he wouldn't have let you go through in the first place if he actually loved you. You ever, you ever had that thought before? Because I've experienced that thought before. In fact, when we look at the first five verses of chapter one, we don't, we don't see the name of God. There's so much sorrow and loss here. We don't, we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. In this part of Ruth, where we're going to leave off today, it does seem, it does seem like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It does seem like there is no hope. But it's important for us to set up this book accurately. It's important for us to understand exactly what these people are going through because you have gone through it. And if you have not gone through it, you will. There is no doubt because the sun shines on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The weather happens to people who are blessed and people who are cursed, things happen. And if you have not experienced it yet, you will. And it's important for you, if you are listening to this and you have experienced loss and you need to know how to deal with it, this is going to be a great series for you. If you're sitting here, you're listening, and you're like, well, I, I've not, you know, nobody uh, close to me has died. And, and I, I, of course, uh, I've, I've never had a job yet because I'm only in eighth grade and <laughs> I, I don't know what it's like to not have any money. Um, you know, this doesn't apply to me. Let me tell you, it's going to apply to you. So I want you to listen closely. I want you to listen carefully. And I want you to dig in to Ruth. Because it is a book of loss, but it's also a book of redemption. Because even though we don't see it here in the first five verses of chapter one, we are going to get a hint of redemption later on in this chapter. We're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel Sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and yet you don't have the stamina to continue. You don't have the strength to press on. And I hope and pray that our study through this book is going to help give you the strength to press on. But it's not, it's not so much just reading this book. It's not so much just listening to this study that's going to give you encouragement. It's, it's not so much me or you listening. All of this is going to come from God, ultimately. And we're going to see that Naomi, now paired with Orpah and Ruth, although things look dark for them, it does look hopeless, we're going to see that God is not going to just be present later on, but he has been present with Naomi the whole time. And you should know now, at the end of this lesson, you should know now, even though we haven't gone over anything in Ruth that's particularly gleeful, you should know that even though things look dark, God is already there. 
He is already aware. And he has not left you alone. So if you are looking for hope, you need to know that it is still there. Even if you can't see it. Even if you can't feel it. Even if everything around you has been nothing but desolation and despair. You need to know and put your trust in knowing that God is still there. And he has never left. So, next week we'll continue our study in Ruth. Uh, It does continue to be a little dark through the rest of chapter 1, but it is going to lighten up. I hope that it's not been uh, too doom and gloom for you, Uh, but uh, I do hope that you are understanding where Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are in their lives, uh, especially Naomi and Ruth. And uh, I hope you're looking forward to next week's lesson. I hope that this has been a blessing to you, and I hope that you go through and read this with us. I hope that you have your Bibles open on the table or desk or wherever, on your phone or iPad, and you're reading along as I'm reading along, because it's going to be important for you to see these words on the page or on your screen. Um, If you have a study Bible, I encourage you to look at the historical information that's there. I know sometimes when you look at, a like in in mine, there's a little section that says outline and themes. And I know that when I was in English class, I could not have cared any less about outlining books or passages or finding the themes of different um, different, uh, literature. I just, oh, it just made me cringe. But... When it comes to scripture, it's actually very enlightening. It's it's very interesting to see what's happening historically and what what is happening politically even to affect people's choices. And because we we experience the same thing now in the United States in 2020. We we are experiencing the same kinds of things, just maybe in a different order, and maybe we react to them differently, but we experience the same sorts of sins and sorrows and pain. But again, I hope this has been encouraging for you, even though it's been dark. I hope that uh, you are looking forward to next week's lesson because we're going to start looking. Um, we're going to get it digging a little deeper uh, into the relationship between Naomi and Ruth and um, see what all is going on there. And and also kind of explore um, some other um, historical uh, pieces of information to really help us understand what is happening and why things are so... Um, at unrest right now for Naomi uh, and Ruth even. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this lesson. I uh, just want to go ahead and let you know that Brother Larry Treadway's Sunday morning sermons, Dr. Rich Roberts' Sunday school lessons, and uh, of course my youth lessons are going to continue to be posted weekly to the podcast feed. Um, so if you have uh, an iPhone or an Android um, whether it be a phone or, or a tablet, like an iPad or anything, or, or even desktop computers, you can find this podcast. If you just go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you can even find us on Spotify, um, if that's your thing. Um, you can find us on all major podcast platforms, as well as our website. If you haven't been to our website, go ahead and take a look at it. It's www.portlandgbc.org, and uh, it's just Portland and then GBC. Uh, It's pretty easy to get there. And uh, just take a look. Um, We've got a contact page and about us page. If you want to know what our beliefs are, uh, what we teach at Portland GBC, um, all of that is on there. 
And of course, if you have any questions, our contact information is there. If you need to email us, it's portlandgeneralbaptist at gmail.com. Um, you can also contact us on our Facebook page. It's going to be uh, facebook.com slash portlandgbc. And uh, we're also on YouTube. All you have to do is search Portland General Baptist Church, and uh, you'll find our channel there with the, um, the black circular logo with the purple GB on there. And uh, that is our channel. We are we are uh, we have just set that up, and uh, so we're going to be uh, posting all of our video sermons and uh, video lessons to our YouTube channel, and all of that's going to be shared to our Facebook page. All of this is going to be interlinked and interlaced, and uh, all interconnected for you. And uh, so, no matter what po- no matter what your favorite platform is, uh, you'll be able to find us easily. But if you have any questions about it, if you need help accessing that information. And those resources, please don't hesitate to contact us on the Facebook page or by email at portlandgeneralbaptist at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and may God bless you.